When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. My <laughs> talk me through it. Oh my god, seriously. Well, first of all, we felt like in my head, going to Peppa Pig World was going to stay at Cheating Glen in a treehouse, right. and we would just drive down and we'd just pop to Peppa Pig World, and then we'd stay at Cheating Glen for two nights and we'd have a really lovely time. But Cheating Glen for Two nights is £4,000. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? So when I, we first started talking about Peppa Pig World, really like Peppa Pig World was like, we'll go an there on. on the way. You know, like yeah. an add-on. Yeah. But then we'd already decided that's what we were doing for Gigi's birthday. So then we we're like, right, we're not going to spend four grand going to Peppa Pig World and the rest, like by the time, you know, you've eaten and all that stuff. Um, but we've got to go. We've got to take her now. So we booked like some random hotel, which was dreadful. <laughs> we didn't get there till like 11 o'clock at night. So that obviously oh, like set no. the tone. That set the tone. And then like, I mean, the bunk beds came down out of the wall. Like it, it, there was no bedding on, on the bunk beds when we arrived. So I was oh, like, shit. oh my God. But it's 11 o'clock at night and you think, whatever everyone into bed I don't care let's just go to sleep let's just forget about what this room is anyway so that just set set it all up then we get there and it's all fine do you know what it's actually really clean I like you've been haven't you like as a theme park goes, oh, it's lovely it's, it's clean like yeah. it's really well looked after there are loads of plus points but we went on a Saturday, right? And queuing for like 20 minutes doesn't sound like loads. But with young children queuing for 20 minutes for a 30-second oh, ride yeah. is like... And also, it's so boring anyway. Like, I know they love it. I know they love it. But for parents, right? Oh, God, it is really I've got boring. I've got a take on this, which I'm going to share. I've got an insight. So when we were kids, we used, I think we went to Chessington... Once. Yeah, Chessington or think, Thorpe Park. Yeah, but I, I don't think we used to go 
all the time. We are obsessed or we have this desire and this need to fill up the weekends with shit yeah, with our kids it's like we've got to take them home we've got to do this and we've got to do that like I literally spent the weekend at home with the kids and all we did was go on a bike ride we did the same bike ride twice you know down the <laughs> canal we went in we got ice cream in Weybridge and then we cycled back and they were so happy and yeah, I was thinking I what, it didn't cost me any money it cost me like you know 10 quid to get them two ice creams or whatever it was in, in marble and I just thought I'm not I'm not gonna keep trying to do it and try and fill them up on like e numbers and you yeah. know it's like two hundred pounds out for a day and I'm just yeah, like no, I'm just no, not no. gonna do it. Do you know what I said I said to James while we were there? I was like because obviously it was Gigi's birthday and that's yes. why we, you know why we why we went as like a treat for her because she loves Peppa Pig. I said, Do you know what we should have done? We should have literally just sat her down in front of the TV and said, <laughs> watch as much Peppa Pig as you want. Eat as many sweets as you want. Yeah. And she would have probably been, probably, I mean, happier. But she's happier. never going to remember it though, George. No, of course she's not. I mean, she did love it. It was really cute. Like, she was like, hello, hello, Peppa. And do you know what we did while we were there? We got rid of the dummy. We oh got God! Rid of this the is dummy. big news in the Dayton household. It is. It was kind of like a... We'd sort of talked about doing it, like me and James hadn't really like confirmed we were going to do it there. And then we, while we were there, we thought, fuck it, let's just do it now. Let's see if it works. Anyway, so we take her into the Peppa Pig shop and we're like, right, who are you going to give your dummies to? And she said, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna leave them at Peppa Pig World for the babies. And I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> I said, you can pick anything you want in this shop, like anything pick whatever you want and, and we'll go and pay for them or you can pay for them with your dummies and she chose an umbrella so for wow. 12 pounds 12 pounds i mean that is getting away light isn't it in one of those shops the dummies have gone they're gone i mean this no is more. amazing isn't it isn't it so actually pepper pilgrim was a big win really if i think about it um so yeah, it's big news. Big like that's massive. great. I'm so pleased for you. I'm so pleased for you because that is a big deal. And do you know what? We get so I just many keep messages. Looking at James, like, wow, did we do this? Did we do this? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And all it took was an umbrella. Yeah, do you know what? This is massive. And we get so many, so many messages about, um, you know, from people about like, how did you do it? And uh, what age? And, you know, can you give us your tips and stuff? And I think actually, fundamentally, it's never going to be that moment where your child goes, here's my dummy. I never want yeah. it again. Okay, let's go skipping off into the distance because it is going to be shit for a while. But you do just have to set yeah. a date. And you did it with Axel when he was one. And you were like, that's yeah. it. Dummy's gone. And I think you've got to be really firm and just go through it's almost like a sleep training or a potty training or a weaning whatever it, it just takes consistency yeah it's exactly the same yeah. and also, like I think with the dummy it's literally just ripping a plaster off it's like do you yeah. know what let's just do it now like we didn't particularly phase it out we didn't probably do any of the things that you're supposed to do or whatever we literally just went you know what cold turkey no no not having it anymore done yeah done <laughs> done brilliant well, well she's done been fine like she yeah so there we are <laughs> love that there we are love but that. anyway no more pepper pig and dummy chat well listen i'm just really excited for today's conversation actually because it's really nice and i think both you and i love it when we get a male voice on the podcast and actually you guys listening really enjoy it as well and i think there's been so much chat around obviously it was father's day on sunday um you know we've been getting a few more a few more dads on and a few just just giving us different opinions on how we see things exactly. is really important i think you know uh, uh, um you know any 
of the mums that are listening can kind of have their way and that's what we think is the right way and actually it's really nice and it's actually a bit more of an education when we get someone on who can give us a different perspective so it was a really beautiful conversation and we think you guys are going to really love it um very insightful into a different view so george who are we chatting to today today we are chatting to the wonderful marvin founder of dope black dads So to celebrate Father's Day last week and to follow on from our Friday Q&A on fatherhood, we are so excited to have a dad on the podcast today and what a dad he is. Please welcome author, broadcaster and founder of Dope Black Dads, it's Marvin Harrison. Thank you so much for joining us today, Marvin. How are you? How's your morning been? Uh, Today's been a really good day. Uh, I'm in South Africa at the moment in a very, very dark room. Um, And so after this, I'm going to go run around in the sun a little bit, but um, I'm really happy to be with you though. That's a that's a positive for sure. Oh, thank you. Actually, I can see, like, I was, I was looking behind and I was thinking, where is he? Because <laughs> it looks like it's nighttime behind you. And so I was thinking, where is he? Is this some fancy room in his house that he's got? He's no, got? The, the dark room. No, this is... The um, dark room. We, we have, like, a co-working office space that we have in, um, in Johannesburg. And so they painted it all black. And so it creates this air of just, like, like it's nighttime all the time. Um, yeah. So it's good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> so for those listening who somehow don't know you, please can you give us a little snapshot into who you are and what you do? Hi, so I'm Marvin Harrison. Um, I'm going to try and make this as succinct as possible. So I'm the founder of Dope Black Dads, which is a male parenting platform that was launched in 2018. Um, we're in the UK, US and South Africa. We have pilot groups all around the world. Our main mission is around just supporting men and encouraging healthy discussions around masculinity, mental health, and male parenting. Uh, I'm also an author, so I have a kid's book called I Love Me, uh, which is out now uh, on Pan Macmillan. Uh, and it's an amazing book about children's affirmations. So um, I used to call it mirror talk. And so I used to stand in the mirror with my children and you know get them to say, I am beautiful, I am powerful, I am loving, and then do it louder and louder. And then before you know it, they're like beaming. Um, it's especially a really good practice when like they're really challenged by something. Um, sometimes my daughter will be like, I don't want to jump mm. down from the wall that I always jump down from. And then I'll be like, say, I am brave. I am ocean. And then she'll be like, oh, and then she'll jump off afterwards. And it'd be really like nice to see her recover from her doubt um, yeah. by creating language for it. Um, so that's really what the book was um, set up for. And it's great for all children. Mm-hmm. Uh, also later on this year, I have an adult book coming out, which is focused on, Really just like, it's a, it's a conversation to men about all the things you need to consider on your oh. journey, the masculinity, before you become a father. And it's really so taking all of my errors, all of my questions, all of my challenges, plus that of our wider community. Um, and it's all framed through the lens of like black fathers we used to see on TV and the lessons that we used to learn from them. So like Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince and... Um, uh, Frank from uh, Moesha and like Alan from Alan Jackson from EastEnders, Desmond's from the Desmond Show, just like all the lessons we used to learn from them on TV and the scenarios that we used to pick up and how to handle those scenarios with a backdrop of all of our stories. So author and also sometimes I do some broadcasting as well. So it's a bit of a multifaceted element, but really it's just about driving that conversation around men, parenting and mental health. Amazing. And we're, we're going to obviously come back to how you've got to where you are today. But I wanted to take you back, first of all, and I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your childhood and maybe the male influences in your life. 
when mm. growing up? Yes, I, I had a great childhood um, by and large. And because I, and I, I know the scale of what is possible for young people and for children and how they can be raised, I really honor how I was raised. And you don't know that you have a great childhood until you start listening to some other people who've had some real experiences. But my particular experience is really quite nuanced. And I think growing up single parent home um, in Hackney in the early 90s, late 80s, um, but then also we had a really strong matriarchal family around us. And so I didn't understand what that meant or why that was until much later. But fundamentally, we were surrounded by these amazing women who were like the life, soul and energy of our family. Um, and they really protected us and provided us everything we need. And I didn't necessarily feel like I needed a father until I became a father. And then I had some additional questions, which I realized that maybe a father would be able to answer. And that's the mm. first time. And that's when I was like, 31. So I think like my journey was, you know, very much, and I think London at that time was really like, it, it was still quite working class in lots of places. Like yeah. I grew up around this amazing group of working class people who had amazing values and were really kind. And like, we used to have VE day celebrations when we would like get the tables yes. out and like our whole estate would turn into a party. And, you know, it's such a weird, cause that would never happen now. And it's such a no. weird experience. And I think in reflection, the Jubilee this year felt completely disconnected to the VE day that I had when I was like probably 11 years old or something and how yeah. much the country and the world has changed. But I grew up feeling British and as I got older, I've become to feel less connected to the identity of Britain, but really clear that like my blackness means something to the society, sometimes good, but largely um, can be a challenging um, negative experience. So trying to make sure that I'm creating positive experiences comes from me observing what I remember from my childhood, which may be naive, by the way, uh, but what I remember from my childhood going into what I want for my children now. Yeah, do you know what? You make a really good point, actually. That sense of community that you grew up in has been lost to a certain extent. I mean, I certainly don't live around the corner from my family and, you know, we talk all the time, mm. but that sense of being brought up mm. by several people, it just doesn't happen as much as um, as it used to anymore. We were talking about the power. I was actually having a conversation actually in Johannesburg yesterday about how important the extensions of your family become. So like your aunts, your uncles, your mum's friends being, or your mum and dad's friends being an extension of your family and they would come and talk to you when you did something silly or you know, they would buy you presents and they would like, you know, run jokes with you. And you don't realise how safe that makes you feel because now you feel like there's yeah. multiple layers of people that you have positive connections with. So if you have a bad experience in the world or what we say today on, on the internet, you know, you could ret retreat back to your family. And I think that disconnection from your core family challenges a lot of people because they do feel way more lonely than they did potentially 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You grew up with this real sense of community and... Did you always, I guess, want to replicate that? Did you always want to have a family? Did you always want to be be a parent? So one of the things for me is like, I um, I always have had like a, a challenge with a sense of belonging um, and I didn't understand it for years. So I've always tried to create community because it's really what I needed um, and what I wanted for myself rather than what I think the world needed. And so I think because it was always done through that lens, I've constantly built communities based on who I was and where I was at at that time. So, you know, I've gone from being like the head of the Afro-Caribbean society in my university, creating a community there because we were 
even more of a minority in that environment. Um, and then coming out and I've done things around music and entertainment and building communities of artists who weren't able to get on the platform. And then so many of those artists have gone on to do incredible things, things people like Ed Sheeran and stuff being around me at that time. And then again, later on in life now, looking at uh, my my a movement into fatherhood and just creating a community around fathers and a wider black community because I just wanted to be surrounded by really good people. But the more I realized things about myself, I've understood why I've done it and not necessarily lessened the reason for it, but been able to balance it out a little bit more. But community is incredibly vital, uh, especially in this day and age. And building one of your own or joining one and becoming proactive in it is one of the most like radical things that you can do for yourself and for the people around you. You mentioned that it's only recently that you learned that you um, seek out that community. Why do you think that is? So like what I now know is that like my, I, I would say that I'm neurodivergent anyway. And so I operate at a very high capacity of doing. Uh, and it's always been something like a gift of mine. But when you do so much and you're so busy and you're, you get quite detached from people and reality sometimes. So I can work six months 17 hours a day without blinking. It just happens. And so three months go by and I'm like, oh, I haven't spoken to anybody. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, where's my, you know, where's my support system? Where are my friends? Where are my people? And so in essence, creating people that understood me, uh, the way I see the world, the things that I do kept us all connected because we all do it. We all do it to yeah. each other mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't make it wrong anymore. But if you do it around, if your behavior is connected to someone that is completely different to you, even if you are, you like them, even if they are the nicest people in the world, it's nothing to do with that. It's just my way of being is I really love what I do and I get lost in it every day. It's like walking into a forest by yourself every day. And then like three months later, you're like, I've been here for three months in this forest. Where's people? Like, and I'm really <laughs> okay know. with it. But then I feel bad because I feel like, you know, I should be sharing what I discover. And so having those groups of people that really understand that are neurodivergent, that are fathers, that are black, they really understand my lived, all the elements of my lived experience. People that are passionate about business and creating things for people. They love all of that. So now my crew of people are my community, but we behave differently than previous communities, which were like this kind of always on interconnected deep relationship way of trying to do things, I get to be exactly who I am and still loved, honored and respected. And that's a really beautiful thing for anyone, regardless of your way of being and, you know, your behavioral type. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you've actually come to learn that about yourself because you said there that you can work 17 hour days for, you know, three months and not even and blink or do maybe, I think actually maybe you said six months and not even and not even realize I'm the same as that, but I didn't realize I was the same as that until you just said it. <laughs> I shut, I close off from people when I'm really busy. I don't feel the need to speak to anybody when I'm really busy. I just go in, go into myself and just focus on, on what I'm doing. And I guess, you know, that doesn't just come from work. That also comes when, you know, you become a parent, mm. you, you know, you, you, you're, you're fully focused on your child. And then a lot of loneliness can come from that because you've, you know, you've gone straight in there, mm. just focusing on this little bubble that you're in, and then you've not come up to, 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 to get any help. Yeah. So let's just talk about when you first um, you know, when you found out you were going, you were going to be be a father, mm. and how that made you feel, and did you sort of, I guess, did you did you just prepare for the birth, or were you thinking further than that, and what sort of father that you wanted to be? Absolutely. Like, so I I remember one day my 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 wife at the time was like, 
her two two people very close to her had announced that they're having their second and first child. And I was just like, look, I was on a bus. I remember being on the back of this bus on the way to work. And I just started crying. And I was like, look, it's time. It's time. I want to be a father. I want to have this connection. I want to build my family. Um, and she was like, okay, cool. She really, really turned it, t- t- um, internalized it. And it was one of those things that I wanted so badly. And I was so... Um, excited by the idea of it, I went into research mode. So the hyper-focus that I applied to like my purpose, I applied to like fathering. I read things. I was listening to everything. Um, I was trying to find out what co- new types of parenting models there were. And I think like for me, it's just um, a part of how I connect to things. It's like I, I really drill in. So I was excited. And the whole nine months leading up to it was the best nine months of my whole life. Because I think there's like, your, your partner becomes incredibly beautiful when they're pregnant. It's like, it's such a hard thing to explain to people. And, I, and it sounds obvious in some ways and other ways and not. They've got your, as a woman, they're going through a transition. My wife's Do you know what? That's so lovely to hear because I don't think we always feel beautiful. It's really refreshing to hear a comment like and that. That's what I mean. But to me, I was like, you are more attractive. You are more beautiful. You're glowing. Everything about you is just radiating. And I just want to like, I want, I want to hug. I want to hug constantly. I just want to help hold you. And I think like, like um, it was such a beautiful time and really hard to replicate and hard to recreate inside a relationship again that feeling. But um, by and large, it was just it was just it was the perfect, most idyllic approach to that I could think of. And then when my my son came, I really struggled to connect a little bit, and I didn't understand my place because now we went from a two to three, and I didn't really mm. understand how to play a role because what I wanted is probably a similar experience to what. My wife was happy. That's so true, uh, isn't being it? Being on the front line, being a primary carer. But what inherently I, I probably needed to be or what I ended up being was a support for her. So I was supporting her, providing relief to her. But the primary care needed to come from her at that time for breastfeeding, from connection to all of these, just actually just being better and skilled and um, prepared for that. But then after about two years, we, our second child is on the way. And I was like, great, now this is easy because my son's older and we're great friends now. So it's easy. Yeah. But then as soon as my daughter came, there was like a, he, even he at two years old, two and a half years old was like, I want my mommy and I don't want you daddy. Cause now this new baby's taking this space of where my mommy was. So then it was like my wife um, with a newborn doing the frontline stuff again, my son basically telling me that like, you're in the way of my mommy or who's this new person. And so I was like, just looking after these three people by myself and you just don't get the, and I want to be very clear. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying you don't no, get the, yeah. the, the, the response. You don't get the feedback. You don't get the connection. It's like, it's like providing a service for somebody for three years. And if I said mm. to you, would you go in to provide service? Like, yes, you love them. Yes, you logically know that this is the right thing to do. But normally there's some sort of intrinsic reward or extrinsic reward that you receive that makes you continue. It makes it easier and you get more connected and I was struggling to find that intrinsic reward. So I just started to disconnect a little bit and just lean into my work. Um, and so for about a year and a half, my wife was pretty much on her own because I was just like, I don't see why I'm here. And then I launched Dope Black Dads as an help to answer that question. And that was really, really important for me and a pivotal moment in how I now view parenting. But you know what? I find that so interesting because Zara and I talk a lot, you know, through Made by Mamas. We, we do, you know, we are, we, we're there for all parents, but 
predominantly our audience are female and we get so many messages from people saying I just feel like my you know my partner or my husband just isn't put they're not pulling their weight they're sleeping in the spare room they don't feel like they I, I don't feel like they're doing anything and so we talk a lot about the forgotten father and how can you know in a heterosexual relationship how can how can the man get involved when you know the woman is there you know breastfeeding or you know sort of I guess being the primary caregiver and I just I find this whole thing so interesting and I look back on my experience when I had when I had my first my husband was back at work I think two days later I want to say mm. um he he really didn't get a chance to you know to, to to be around and to bond and then second time around I think he might have had maybe three weeks at home something like that but my goodness, the difference that it made was so huge for him as well. Because I think, like you say, you you want to be doing, I, I guess, as, as a father, you want to be involved. You want to feel like you're doing something. And especially where you said you'd put in so much work throughout the pregnancy, you know, trying to be connected, reading everything, you know, loving the experience. And then when, you know, suddenly there's a newborn there and you feel like, oh, no, like, what, like, where where is my place now mm. um and I think a lot of resentment can come from that as well you know from the mum thinking that it, it, you know, their partner is not, not pulling their weight and then and you know they're not involved so what advice would you give to an expectant father or a new father um about how they can build those connections and get involved in the early days. Yeah, I, I think um, one thing I never, and this is at the time, I'd never took in, I didn't, I didn't actually discover being neurodivergent until like a year ago. So I had no idea. And I think a part of it is that like the, the depth of what you're looking for, just really based on who you are. People have different thresholds for and needs for connection. Some people are really happy with being slightly on the outside as long as they get mm. to go to the pub on Saturday. And so I don't want to make it out as if like your methods are, are wrong. What, what I genuinely deeply believe is that so much of peace in men comes from being connected to your family. And I was always way more connected to my family when I was looking at it from the outside in rather than being actually in it. So if we were at the table and everyone was like, you know, playing puzzles and like eating breakfast I'm like, this is chaos. There's like so many stuff going on. I don't understand. People are talking at the same time. Everyone's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. Mommy, 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 do you want to do this? Da, da, da. And I'm just like, this is chaos. But if I took a step back and I sat outside and I sat on the kitchen counter and I watched them, this it was like the most beautiful, serene environment ever. And I would pay to watch it. And it's really difficult to explain that to somebody because it just makes more sense to me to watch my family than it is to sit in the depths of it. And I felt like... Um, you know, for me, it was just about mm. frequencies and like what what kind of mentality you have. And mine was is like really deep into work. And then I'll try and come home and be really active and present on a completely different vibration. So it's like when you're in a boardroom, you're just instructing. I lead two companies. I'm just saying, right, this is the strategy. This is what we're doing. How much revenue did we make? Blah, 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 blah. Then I came home and it was like, you can't talk to your family. You can't instruct your family. Like, where's my dinner? What time are you going to bed? You go upstairs. <laughs> da, 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 da. I am my this. You, you never in a million years, you have zero affinity in your family. So you have to come out and stop and be more connected to the being rather than the doing. Absolutely. And so I had, when turning that off was really, really violent for me. It just was a very difficult thing to do. It just adjusting. So I had to change the way I worked to be able to be present in my actual family. 
And then I realized that once I, I, I actually got that connection, my whole life made sense. It just didn't come in the way that I would have envisioned it. And I had to let go of the picture of what I thought being a father was going to be so that I could actually be a really good father. And now I'm there, I give no room. I will not compromise for time with my children. I, I am ring fencing all of our opportunities. Even when I'm not really meant to be with them, I kind of go seek them out. Like, what are you doing? I'm going to go see you. What are you doing? Do you want to go do something? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to go somewhere? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think for me, I now have the thing that I always wanted. It just didn't come the way that I expected. So what did you think that parenting would be like? What way did you expect it to come? I think this is where TV and film kind of like ruin you a little bit because they do this with love as well. They make it so romantic where the guy turns up at your workplace and you're like a waitress and then he's like, you know, flirting with you. And then the co-workers staring at being, oh, isn't that cute? And your friends are like, oh, isn't that cute? And then you go for a walk and you stop by the building and you kiss. These things can happen, but by and large, it's less than that. It's not really like that. And if you spread it out over 20 years, 30 years, 50 years or a lifetime, these these occurrences are very few and far between, but people are seeking those as a way. So for me as a parent, I'm seeking these like me and my wife, like tag teaming. And we're like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking the nappy out. She's strapping it up, you know, then I do the last button and then we high five. And then, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, it's just so, it was so performative. And, and we never took into account some of the wider challenges, you know, for us, me being a black man, there are things that happen within blackness that don't make it just about, you know, changing nappies, making enough money and like putting food on the table. Yeah. There are other variables that change the way you feel about the place that you're in or feel about your ability to do those things. So challenging all of those things, I just needed a space to speak really, really honestly and broken. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It hasn't got to be perfect, just broken. And somebody sit there and listen to me. And then sit there and be like, you know what? I appreciate you sharing that or thank you for saying that or here's a hug or, you know, I hope you get better or have you thought about this? Whatever that is, that that community is so, so valuable to men. We'll be right back after this short break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? So is that why you started Dope Black Dads? Yeah, and I just, you know, the, the, the day I started it, so when I connected, my daughter was born in, say, January. It was, well, definitely was January. I was going to say, say January. <laughs> um, and uh, Father's Day was, like, literally six months to the day after. And yeah. I obviously came in with my, like, full guns blazing. I'm going to lead this, and I'm going to take on my son. Me and him are going to be cool, and we'll help the mom, my mom, his mom, and um, his sister, and we'll be like a little team, me and him. And he was just having none of it. He was just like, no. So all the connection that I thought I had built up in the first two and a half years didn't really resonate in that moment. Um, and so he, he obviously, he's two, two and a half, so he just wanted his mother. And I think when that, after doing that for six months and trying everything I could think of, I realized that my behavior was just starting to become erratic and I was becoming more and more distant. And that is like deeply against my values. So I was just like, if I'm being outside my values, what is it? So I already had already, I'm just going to therapy now. I'm like there every week trying to figure it out. And then very shortly afterwards, it became just about, I think I need to speak to other men. Like what actually is happening in yeah. your life, your marriage? Is it really as bad as it is for me? Am I unique? Am I the same as everybody else? And I very quickly realized that this is a very, very common occurrence um, in, a male, in, a, in a male parent's journey. And it's really time that we start the conversation. We hadn't even thought about what the action was going to be. It was just like, let's talk about this louder. Um, and see what happens. And so please tell us, how did Dope Black Dad start? How did you go about creating the community and the platform, which is so fantastic, by the way, we love it. So I was very lucky to be around some really good men um, and actually a lot of good men. And so it started off with just, I sat there in my room, I'd already been given my breakfast and my pair of socks for Father's Day. Um, and I was like hovering over, you know, like to create a WhatsApp group, you said like new group, you add everyone that you want to add. I scroll through all of my contact lists and thought, who is actually a dad, who do I want to add? And then like, there's a moment where you can hover over a button to actually yeah. make the group and or cancel. And I was there for a while. I was just like, did, like, do these men want to be added to this? Um, and the name was all by chance as well. It wasn't like I sat there with a strategist and came up with a brand, for, a brand name. It was just kind of like the language that I was using at the time. Um, and then when I created it, the response was so positive because people hate WhatsApp groups. If you add me to a WhatsApp group. Mine are all on mute. Just, like, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. So I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to create one of those. Um, and I'm and I'm not someone who can ignore those things. So I just ended up really just being honest. And I was like, thank you all for being a representation of a father that I can look up to. And I, you're genuinely, whatever you're posting, whether it's authentic or not, is what is keeping me going. And then everybody kind of echoed that sentiment. And then I realized in that moment that there was a group of us that had a similar experience. And we just kept on talking. We spoke literally for probably about 60 days straight with zero break, wow. no, like just constantly mm -hmm. all day. Um, and it was just all this new discovery about our lived experiences, black men and black fathers. And then to the point we had, uh, the group was at capacity. You couldn't add anybody else to it because so many people wanted to join. Um, and then we had to turn it into a Facebook group and then it became a podcast and then it was the US and then it was South Africa. And then all these men are just like pouring their hearts out in this space. And it was one of the most beautiful things I have ever experienced. And I honor every single one of those men from beginning to end. Um, and, I, and I think it's really important that they everything that's ever shared is really kept safe. Yeah. Uh, and it would never mm. leave and enter the world without people's consent because some of it isn't perfect. And some of it is just really sad and really personal, really traumatic things that happened to us that we didn't know. Like I didn't realize how many men, when they say lost their virginity at like under 16, like at 12, 11, some people nine years old. And we don't understand what that means for us. And then we're just like thrown into the world and being told that like we have to make something of ourselves. We have to be loved and, you know, find someone that wants to be with us. 
and then we just expect it to all land perfectly. It's impossible. Yeah. And I think the journey of men is really, really broken. And, and I think we've always been taught to stay away from our families and not lean into how we feel and not lean into um, our families. And then we then, you know, wonder why we're not connected, why we choose to go out and find short-term connection with other women or why we, and men, sorry, I don't want to make this very clear, um, or, or we, you know, consider why we don't, um, we don't have the empathy that needs it. We're not good at caring uh, in the way that uh, our maternal partners are. So I just think it's just like balancing those things out um, and it becomes a really, really important thing when that's said out loud. You can turn off the superhero dad routine where like, I'm going to die for my children. Like, like, why? Live for them. Like, that's a yeah. way more powerful, radical idea. So I'm, I'm in that space right now. I really want to live for my children and I want them to see me uh, as a representation of an incredible, powerful black man and father uh, in the world that they can look up to and model on. Well, I mean, it's incredible that you are, have been able to create like that sense of community where people feel like they can share, you know, all of those things. Because I think, you know, I guess stereotypically women are talkers, you know, we, we meet with our friends, we meet for a coffee, we meet with the, with the buggies, you know, all of that sort of ideal yeah I guess like those idealistic views that you have when you're going to be on maternity leave and you you'll moan about what's going on and you'll talk it through and then hopefully you come home and you feel better but actually I guess there there hasn't been that natural space for male parents mm. um it's very much like you say some you know some men just want to escape and go down to the pub and not talk about what's going on at home they just you know they don't want to fix it they just want to escape from it mm. um and detach themselves what well, i guess are those the most common themes that come up when people are sharing their stories and experiences it's usually the way that you were raised your relationship to your your mother your your father, um, your relationship to education and your general development through your teen years, um, because we find a lot of adverse experiences that happen um, in education. Um, then we look at things like youth violence and things that impact you. So, you know, growing up in a Hackney estate, I, I can't tell you how many times my life was threatened by someone mm. in some way, shape or form, or you see drug dealers and prostitution just on your high road as a very normal way of existing. Um, yeah. So all of those things um, are really, really loud um also just like challenges failures like things that don't go right in your life things that you put your heart and, and into and it doesn't work out um you know how much of that is your own self-determination how much of that is how the world works and how it doesn't see you or does see you um you know co-parenting cohabiting um co-parenting is an art it's, it's someone's got to do more work on it we kind of talk about it in this way of like i've never known a testimony where it's like it's genuinely done together it's always yeah. done as like a tag team. So like you're in and then now I'm in. Or it's done with one person does the majority of the labor, but a genuine collaboration. And if that's the case where it's a tag team, that's fine. But we need to actually replicate that in society and in media and in broadcasting and in TV and film because that's not how they show it. They show it as like, I always used to watch Fresh Prince and I'll see Aunt Viv and Uncle Phil. Yeah. And they would be like telling their children off, finish each other's sentences, high five, walk upstairs and be like, now you deal with it, kids. It's like, that's not how it happens. I've yet to no. even get close. So yeah. it's, it's that type of representation. That's a challenge. And so you think there's blame to place with the media for not portraying the realities of parenting. Oh, do you know what? I actually 
in a way, I quite agree with that. I guess as a couple, especially, it can be really, really tricky. Well, just put a warning sticker on it and be like, this is not real. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and mainly because like, I'm picking this up from when I was young. This, this isn't like me as an adult and, you know, watching friends and being like, yeah, of course. like this. But as a child growing up or a young adult, you're looking for these reference points with meaning. Um, and you're believing these narratives and these experiences and thinking that's what I need to go and create. And I think no one really talks about the context in which that gets created in because your parents may not be equipped to guide you through your your time now as a young adult or an adult because they, we live with completely different variables. You know, when you have to explain that like, oh, someone on the internet is abusing me, what, what are your parents going to be? Oh, just ignore them. It's like, no, kind of not. Because like, I have a community there. I have a page. They follow me and someone's sending me evil DMs. It impacts me. Like I feel it. And so you can get that understanding from other, other parents within your own community, within your own age group on social media, but you cannot necessarily always get it in your real life. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of the internet because it gives us reach into areas and different experiences that we never had before. But also mm-hmm. it opens the door up to a raft of, um, of people who are probably unsafe and unwise for you to spend any time internalizing. And so we don't have the filters in place yet to be able to manage that. So you're just exposed, but I, the value still slightly outweighs the challenges, but we do need to do more about it. No, I agree with you. And actually, even since having this podcast, I feel like I've evolved so much as a person speaking to, and, and I've been connected with people that I would never have been connected with in everyday life had the internet not existed, had all our social media platforms not existed. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you, G. And I'd also love to ask Marvin, as I've heard you speak about this before, how you see yourself not as a parent per se, but more as a guardian. I think this is really fascinating. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? And, and I, I think this is, again, comes from how my mind works. And I, you can't tell me no one can't. My, my, if I say I'm doing something, it's just a question is how. And so when I look at my children, I genuinely believe there's someone in there already at birth. They yeah. came ready as a person. My job is to, is to coach them and to sculpt them and like show them different things, introduce them to different ideas and tell them what the, the negative impact may be on an idea, but not to tell them that they can't do it. Absolutely. And a really good example was when, I, when Ocean drew on the wall. I didn't tell her off. I just made her clean it. And in the actual cleaning it, that was a consequence for drawing on the wall. So like you can draw on the wall every day if you want, but the other side of it is that mm. you don't need to clean it off. And then after trying to clean it off one time, she gave up and was like, I can't do this. So she now just doesn't draw on the wall. But if I told her you can't draw on the wall, there'll be a tiny part of her mind which would be like, I'm going to draw on that wall and I want to draw on that wall. And then you get into a scenario where they're acting out because you haven't given them freedom to make their own decision. And then you start to crush other parts of it because really a, a wall and a piece of paper look pretty similar to a child. It's like, yeah, it's a blank absolutely. space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a pen in my hand. Why can't I draw here? You say I can draw on the, <laughs> on the table on a piece of paper, but I can't draw. And it's like, it's complex. So I just try to make things really easy. I try to open up possibilities for them. And then now they're just incredibly well behaved in, in, a, in anybody else's eyes because they've explored, they've tried things, they've fallen down, they've eaten things and didn't like it. They jumped off a wall and hurt themselves. They didn't hurt themselves. Now they jump off the wall all the time. So creating safe trials for your children is like my gift. You yeah. know, sometimes I put my mm-hmm. son over a fence in a park that's closed and be like, how would you get out? 
And I just sit there and watch him figure it out. And he's looking, what can I stand on? How do I climb over? I was like, because that may happen one day. You might get locked into a space. You've got to have a think. You can't sit there and be like, where's my mommy? Because I may not be there. So yeah. for me, it's a game and I make it fun. And, you know, I coach them through it and I talk them through it. I like, look for this. But I just realized that that is what my gift is for my children. And I don't want people just to try that <laughs> randomly if that's not what your thing is. If your thing is to nurture be a nurturer because they need that too. They need a safe place to return to. So I always let them know, whatever it is, you tell me I got you. And, yeah. and I think that allows that space to happen where they can be brave. And when they fail, they can come to me. Did you know what? A lot of that, you know, that, that you, you sort of talking about making their own mistakes, learning themselves. I, 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 we've been talking about this a lot, especially when we come to think about raising teenagers because that absolutely petrifies mm. me. But when I think about it, if you put those things in place where they can kind of come to their own conclusions, make their own mistakes, because you know what it's like. Your mum says to you, you can't go to that party. Makes you want to go to that party even more and you're going to do absolutely everything you can. But if you know the consequence of going and, and, and understand why, then maybe you won't and you come to yeah. your own decision. Um but I guess it, it's difficult, isn't it? Like there's that whole, I guess you don't want to put your kids in danger. You do want to wrap them up in cotton wool. But equally, our job as parents is to raise independent, good adults, mm. well-rounded adults. And that is ultimately our job. And that's what I I actually always try and come back to that when I'm trying to make a decision about something. Mm. Uh, my natural, uh, I'm naturally quite laid back. I don't really like to tell my kids off. I mm. like them to kind of not run free but then I then I then I have to check myself and think no okay what what are they learning from this if I'm not pulling them up on on it yeah. if I'm not pointing out things to them what how, how are they going to evolve as a human as a human if they're not how, getting how old are your children? they're only six and almost three well yeah. almost six and almost three so yeah. one's at primary school and um one's That's at preschool it. yeah, yeah. Very, very similar ages. Mine are, mine's four and six. So oh, I, I okay. really understand kind of where they where they are. And they're really, really capable at that age. Like my son can make his own cereal and food. Yeah. He mm -hmm. made cool linguine a couple of weeks ago. Like he bakes all the time. He cleans up after himself. He showers. He irons his own clothes now. There's a lot that you can do at six with supervision and like mm. and guidance. And I think the more you get them into those life skill stuff early, the better they're going to become. Um, yeah, I, I just don't want them to be entitled and lazy. No, do you know what? Absolutely. And actually, I was away with my husband and, and kids a couple of weeks ago on holiday. And my husband's been working really, really hard this year. He's changed career. And so he hasn't been at home as much. And, um, uh, you know, we're just sitting at the table and Axel says, oh, I need to go to the toilet. And I'm like, OK, cool. It's just down there, like, you know, along there and it's left. And he's like, are you not going to go with him? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like we're in a hotel we're in a safe space mm. he needs to find the toilet by himself mm. and he was like oh wow okay but by the end of our holiday he's exactly the same he's making him order his own food he's you know fully on board and I'm realizing like oh yeah actually we don't need to like handhold especially through those you know small things like learning to you know, learning to order your own drink in a restaurant okay it's not a big deal but it is it's learning to talk to a stranger it's mm. learning to you know look at somebody in the eye when you're speaking to them it's a it's a it's a life skill I love that that makes me yeah, really happy. but it's small things, isn't it? And I think you don't realise how, 
I guess that you're doing them until like my husband who you know hadn't been around so much recently was suddenly like oh wow we're here are we Mm, (laughs) oh okay (laughs) he's doing this for himself now wow okay that's you know that's great Uh, we would love to hear about your children's book tell us about that and what else you've got coming up yeah sure so so the children book for me is um it's it's one of my favorite things I've ever done and doing something for your children um that's based on a really authentic story that that was my way of connecting with them quite early on was to stand in front of the mirror um, and say, you know, I am brave, I am powerful, I am loving, I am kind, I am special, I am important. Um, and we used to just do it. And then like, I got them to do it louder and louder and jump and do, you know, like smile and like put their name in it. Um, and it just became a really fun way for me to connect in something that I am used to doing or something that I feel like I was good at. And so the book became really that it's like I am brave and I try new things and um, you know I jump off the wall and I you know protect my brother and my sister or I'm fighting the lion and you know all of these different things that we try to push our children to do it just gives us language for how we can do it so you know as a parent it gives a full tutorial on how affirmations work what they are how to do it with your children and it also then encourages your children to do it on their own um, and it just becomes language. Like if you think about a time at school where someone maybe ridiculed something about you, said we don't like your nose or we hate your hair's messy, and you just think if you had language at that point of what to say to yourself to make yourself feel better, how valuable that would have been. Um, mm. And when we're shaping our children, especially at our four to six age, it becomes incredibly important to have that language. So the book I Love Me is available everywhere where that you would buy a book um, online um, and grab a copy. But it's just a real... For me, is is I don't really even care what happens with it. I'm just so glad that my children have that in the world as a resource um, that we did together. Um, and then in terms of what's next, uh, our podcast, ourselves, Don't Let Dad's podcast has been running now for four years. We've won tons of awards, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, and we'll continue to drive the conversation as well as lead community initiatives that help all families and all people, which is super important. Um, So we're always doing something like constantly. I'm in Johannesburg now. I just sat down with a whole group of dads and had an amazing um, catch up session with them all. Um, And then we'll go back to New York in a couple of months and do the same again. So for me, I'm, I'm constantly moving around, trying to drive this conversation and empower more people to start these conversations in their own way, in their own circles and change men's WhatsApp groups to football, women and money to like family, parents and self-care. So <laughs> it's a big mission. Wish me luck. But like, I, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm quite fearless in doing so. And just before we go, we always love to ask our guests for the best piece of advice that they've been given as a parent or the piece of advice that they'd like to give a new parent. Uh, my new parent advice would probably be go to therapy. And I think that's a universal, one-size-fits-all starting place for anybody. And and really go in with a very clear question. And the question could just be like, why am I the person that I am? And and then I'm sure the therapist, if they're qualified, will start asking you, what do you mean by that? What type of person are you? What type of scenarios do you get into? And where do you get find yourself getting stuck? What's the difference between your life now and the life that you actually want to create? Um, all of those things, uh, another good question is like, what's unwanted but persists in your life? That's my favorite question to ask when I'm doing um, time one-on-one with people because it immediately reveals where people are stuck. Um, and so therapy will guide you into like the kind of person you are and the type of children, uh, type of partner, friend that you are and what, what you want to be. Um, and it will really help you clarify some things. The difference between what's real and what's not is a really important one. I love that. And 
we obviously have a lot of women on this podcast so I've got to ask you what are the, your five or not even five just a couple of products that you absolutely swear by as a parent I'm a, I'm a big fan of Aesop so my skincare regime is sponsored by Aesop Bevel and Nivea um, that's pretty much everything that I use <laughs> um, and, and, and one of the things that I really am big on is like my sleeping environment so I put a lot of effort and time into my sheets and like my pillowcases and my quilts and like I love it. a lot because that's the sleep and recharging as a parent is the number one thing so i'd actually even say if you're if you are on a having children now and you're on your way to having children or you're thinking about having children invest in the most comfortable bed invest mm-hmm. in the most luxurious sheets go up as high in the fret count as your financial situation will allow allow change your sheets and wash them as often as you humanly can i'm talking days and so I just think really take care of yourself um, is the number one thing. Um, and then I think in terms of anything else is like, I am like huge on just things like massages, manicures, pedicures. I buy really good shower gels or just like very nice smelling shower gels. I immerse myself in like cleaning products of my actual self. <laughs> and um, I also think nesting as well. So I'm a big cleaner um, uh, as well. If you are a parent, and you are not shopping in Audi and Lidl, I want to know what's going on in your life. The best thing about it is there's just no choice. I don't need eight different choices of tomato sauce to like make, like just go in, that's the tomato sauce and you buy it. It saves you time as well, doesn't it? It's, it, oh, it's yeah. yes. Especially the speed you have to pack. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think those are the, probably the most useful tips and products and things that I you know, suggest to everybody um, is like, the 1.0 because it's provided me so much like time saving uh, improving my own self-care but also like money saving as well which is yeah and I think do you know what is so important actually for you know any parents listening to this or any new parents listening to this that you don't forget about yourself like you just said like you invest a lot in your self-care in you know where you sleep all those things actually make you a better parent in the end because if you're Mm. happy and you're you know you feel good and put together then you know that's gonna gonna reflect on your children and also I always say this as well I would not want my children to completely forget about themselves when they become parents that's Mm. not what I want for them so I want to show them that you don't have to do that yeah (laughs) you can still do things for you I, I think it's like my my message and I'm speaking directly to you parent person listening is that you are smarter, faster, stronger than your own children and do not let them outsmart you. And it's like, when you look after yourself, your children will inherently just be looked after because that's just who you are. None of us are going to let our children go to any form of um, adverse experience on our watch. So as far as I'm concerned, you look after yourself and you give everything else to your children, it's more than enough. It's more than enough. And I think sometimes the guilt of feeling like we have to like be their personal assistant chef, creating <laughs> a la carte menus for them, which is like, what do you want for dinner? And offering them 17 different variations until yeah. they say yes. And if we don't do that, we're bad people. It's like, absolutely not. I'm like, absolutely. No. Like, just look after yourself and everything you have spare is more than enough for your children. And when you understand that, it becomes a, slight, a very different experience. Marvin, you've been an absolute superstar. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 
Do you know what I found so interesting? Like, you know, aside from the whole, you know, his whole thing about dads need to talk more. Of course they do. You know, we, we talk about this a lot. There's a lot of support groups for mums and mums get to go and meet in coffee shops and that doesn't necessarily happen always for dads. But I found it so interesting about the way he says, you know, I don't necessarily see myself as a parent. I'm, I see myself as a guardian and I'm here just yes. to sort of coach them and like rather than telling them no don't jump off that wall he'll explain to them what will happen if they do and then it's up to them if they want to do it or not yeah and I just think oh it's it's, because it's so true you know like even as a teenager if you tell your teenager like not to do something they're going to want to do it more whereas I guess if you tell them the consequences of doing it I don't know I just really that's a big takeaway for me and something that I've thought about since the chat I I was I was really fascinated about him talking about his um, his community that he grew up in and the fact that it had been Mm -hmm. lost to a certain extent you know obviously you know I mentioned the fact that obviously everyone knows I don't live around the corner from my family and I sometimes struggle with that Um, and you know you know certainly in his world he was Mm. brought up by kind of loads of different people it's like yeah it does take a village to raise a child and that's that has been lost like we're expected to do it all by ourselves no wonder we're like tearing our hair out and and crying with a bottle of wine in the bathroom at the end of the day sometimes you know it's quite it can be really really lonely (laughs) yeah it's 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 so true and yeah I mean I just think the community that he's creating you know not just in the UK in America in South Africa he was actually recording from Johannesburg yeah Um, I mean it's incredible and how lucky are we you know we talk about lots of negatives about the internet and social media but these things are the positives when we can link yeah. people together who wouldn't normally get to chat to each other yeah. and they wouldn't normally find each other yeah. um so yeah, yeah it was brilliant it was brilliant great episode <laughs> yeah we're very lucky and we've got loads more exciting episodes for you guys as well so please obviously keep listening keep spreading the word and of course if you do have time give us uh, a review that would be amazing uh, you can also follow the podcast and subscribe to it as well so you never miss an episode yes and if you have got any suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear from that we might not know about um, or that you've seen that you think are really interesting then please do drop us a dm on at made by mummers on instagram and we'll be back on friday Made by Mamas is an Insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the wonderful Charlotte Mason. Insanity Group. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.